Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. Are any of you folks like me where you go to a restaurant and you, you got your tea or your Diet Coke or whatever your uh, beverage of choice is for the day, and at the end of the meal, you, um, you look up and you say to your server, hey, could I get a tea to go? Could I get a Diet Coke? How many of you guys do that? Yeah, I do it all the time. Jenny taught me that trick because she is a real cheapskate and um, <laughs> in love. And, um, and so I've learned that you get that. Now, how many of you, when you finish your cereal, drink the milk out of the bowl? <laughs> I'm in great company then. All right, at the end, how many of you finish the soup that way? The spoon can't get it? You're, okay, that's gross. But, you know, do you do it in public? Like in a restaurant? Okay, that's really gross. All right. Do you know how many hands have been on the side of that bowl? That sounds like something my mom would say. All right. But you know, it's interesting. If you were starving to death or you were dying of thirst, you'd definitely want it, wouldn't you? I mean, you, you really, if you, if, you, if you didn't know what to do because you were starving to death or you, you were dying of thirst, it, it would be a big deal, wouldn't it? There's a lady in our teaching today in 2 Kings chapter 4 who's got nothing. She is literally empty of everything. In 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, here's how the story goes. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Now put this in context. Her husband has died. He's left her nothing. He had nothing to leave her. Her cupboards are empty. Her wallet is empty. Her heart is empty. She's got nothing but her two boys. Now, the law of the day said that if you owed money, which her husband left her in debt, the way you could pay that debt back was the creditors would take your children and they would sell the children into slavery to pay off your debt. And you say, well, how barbaric that was the law of the day. So what she was facing is not only an emptiness in her wallet, an emptiness in her bank account, an emptiness in her cupboard, an emptiness in her heart. Her family now was becoming empty. There was nothing for her. The story goes on and says, and Elisha said to her, well, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Okay, now I want to make sure that you've got this context. She says, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Everything she has is empty. Nothing. Not like when my kids open the refrigerator and say, mom, we don't have anything to eat. I mean, what what they're really saying is, mom, we don't have anything I want to eat. Like, you know, our answer is, hey, you know, we've got soup left over from last night. I wanted a ding dong. (laughs) Yeah, well, Chuck ate all those last night. I mean, come on. You know, what is it about this service? Always talking about, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, you thought, you think you came to this place to have fun. What's wrong with y'all? So, so she's got nothing. She has all I've got though is I've got, I got this little jar of oil. Okay. Now, now put this in context, a jar, maybe it's like, you know, that you go to uh, Publix and you buy a little jar of pimentos, you know, and I don't really know what you'd use with those for, but like, but you buy a jar of pimentos. By the way, if your wife ever sends you to the store to buy pimentos, it is wherever you wouldn't think it would be. Just go ahead and stop somebody and say, where do I buy? Because I have hunted for days 
I mean, camped out looking for pimentos. So, so you buy a pimento in a little jar about that size, it's got a little red top on it, and you, you unscrew the top, and you take those gross little slimy things out. And then you clean the jar in your dishwasher, you put the top back on because it's great to hold like miscellaneous screws and stuff, right? So, so you got a jar about this big. Maybe, maybe when you were growing up, you had like a Bama jelly jar right? That had the pop top with a jelly on it. When you got done with the jelly, mom washed the cup and it had a picture of Fred Flintstone on the outside. And that's what you drank your OJ with. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. Jar. You got it. That's what she's got. She says, I've got a jar of oil. That's all I got. All right. Now in that day, oil to them was like money to us. Okay. She had a little something, but now the bigger significance, the bigger teaching here is oil, as you know, in the Bible, is a picture, a representation of the spirit of God, all right? So like when we baptize people, I'll say, you know, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, creator, sustainer, in the name of the Son, Jesus, Savior, and Lord, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit, which lives inside of us as believers and says, this is right, this is wrong. Are you with me? Teacher, instructor, encourager right? Are you with me? Nod your head. You got it? Okay. So that oil, not only is money sustenance to her, but that's all she's got. Everything is empty, but that, all right. And keep a picture. Now, remember that that is a representation. That's a picture of the spirit of God. So the story goes on. And after she says, you know, I've got nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. All right, now, again, put this in context, all right? Imagine, if you will, like a, uh, uh, I don't know, like a, like a five-gallon barrel, all right? A big, honking, empty vessel. Now, they were common in those days because people would have gone and gotten water with them. They would have put, put other things in them. And, and all across, every home would kind of have a stack of, of, the, of those big, big vessels, right? I mean, kind of like a big jug, you know, and, and they had, they had stacks of them. Sometimes they were in the house. Sometimes they were in the yard. Usually when they were laying around, they had cracks in them. They were broken. They weren't perfect. A lot of times they were, they just became trash, right? And so Elisha says to this woman who says, I've got nothing. He says, I want you to go all around your neighbors and go get a big honking load of these empty jugs. And I want you to bring it back. And then he makes a point and he says, make sure they're empty. And you get a boatload of them. I mean, get a bunch of them. Don't get too few. All right. I mean, don't get chintzy. I'm going to get a bunch of them. All right. So at this point, can you imagine what she's thinking? So she does. She goes and gets all those. And look, look what happens in the rest of the story, which is rather fascinating. He said, and then once you've done that, go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Okay. Now one of two things is true. Either this guy is giving her a great word of God that is greater than her need, or he's been smoking the hymnal. And when something's going on here, right? Well, she thinks, wow, man, I got, I got nothing. I, I'm empty. I don't know what to do. I don't I mean, what do I do? So she does it. She goes and gets the vessels and she goes inside and she takes the pimento jar, the Bama jelly jar full of oil. And she says to her boys, bring me the jug. So he brings like a somewhere between two and five gallon jug. And, and she, she starts pouring the oil out of her jelly jar into this big two to five gallon jug. And the oil keeps coming and fills up. And her, and her teenage boys are like, what? Mom, do it again. How cool is that? So she bring another jug. They pour it, keeps on going. Too cool, right? Well, she keeps bringing the jugs. They finally get to the last jug. And she says, let me have another one. And he says, there's no more. 
And the Bible then says in the story, which is absolutely amazing, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there are no more. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And listen to this. And you and your sons go live on the rest. Listen, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Our God specializes in filling, repairing, and correcting your emptiness to the point of overflowing. That's what he does. That's what he specializes in. Some of you are here today and you're thinking, that's me, I'm empty. I'm empty in my relationships. I'm empty in my marriage. I'm empty in my bank account. I'm empty in my job. I'm empty with my kids. You see this up here, this, this little greater than symbol. Just take your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara and draw a big greater than signal in your sermon notes. Just go ahead, just kind of in the middle, just draw that. And on the right-hand side, on the lesser side of it, you know what I want you to do? Write down two or three things. You say, I need something to be greater than this in my life. Now, for most of you, you're not going to write down what's really there because you're in church. You don't want to see what somebody's going to write, you know, around you. So you're going to put something on a church thing. I want to be holy in 2014. (laughs) What you really want to do is, golly, I got to kick this bad addiction. But you're not going to write that down. So here, I'm going to give you out. You ready? On the right-hand side, why don't you write this? I need something greater than only me and the stuff that only me and God know about. I need something greater. I need victory in the stuff that only me and God know about. This lady was empty, but you know what Elisha's really saying to her? You're not empty enough yet. You've got a little something. Let's let God turn it into something great. He specializes in that. You know, part of our challenge is that some of us are empty. We're just not empty enough. I mean, you say, well, but, you know, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ, but I'm going to hang on to this one thing. I'm going to give him 95% of me. Well, here's one of the greatest truths that we learn in this, and that is this. You know, partial obedience really equals 100% disobedience. I mean, Jesus doesn't want to settle for for your cast-offs. He came and lived and died and rose from the dead for you that you might have life more abundantly this day. Let 2014 be the time you surrender and say, you know what, I want to be fully empty. I mean, do you hear what kind of vessel that they were looking for? By the way, did you know that also in Scripture, not only is oil a picture of the Spirit of God, but vessels are a picture of us? And what he's saying is, I need you to be so empty that there's room for the one that is greater than all of that emptiness and all of that need to allow the great I am to be greater, to fill you up to overflowing abundance that you might have everything that he wants and needs you to have. But you pick. You say, well, Chuck, I want all that God has for me. Then he's giving the answer. Then empty all of your sin, empty all of yourself and empty all of your substitute. And it's, it's, it, it, you look at that and say, well, here's the big idea. If you're not experiencing God's presence in your everyday walk, if you're not experiencing this, this resting power of knowing that Christ is my Savior, that I can rest upon him, that there is hope for tomorrow, that there is victory this day. I, if you don't have that, you know what the answer is? You probably aren't empty enough yet. I mean, we serve a God who specializes in emptiness. I mean, the fact of the matter is, in creation... God flung the universe into nothingness. He hung the stars on nothing. 
He took everything and put it onto nothing and specialized in filling emptiness with his presence. That's what he specializes in. Over in John chapter six, he filled some empty tummies with food. 5,000 men, probably 15,000 total people hanging out on the side of a mountain, listening to Jesus preach, all captivated with what he's doing and what's going on until finally somebody says, dude, I am hungry. And before long, all 15,000 or so people are like, yeah, me too. There's no Waffle House in sight. We're in trouble. I am hungry. So we have four options. The disciples came up with a great idea. You know what it was? Let's just send them all away. They just tell them to go home. And Jesus said, well, that's not going to fix their hunger. They're just going to go away hungry. No, they need something greater than that. Oh, it got a little better. Philip said, I tell you what, it was a great idea. Let's have a fundraising campaign and we'll sell like Krispy Kremes or something and we'll raise the money to buy the food. And the disciples looked at him like, dude, what? So they did a little math and figured out, wait a minute, we're going to have to raise the equivalent of 200 people's annual salary to do this. Oops. Any further proof that money can't buy everything. Money will buy you a house, but it's not going to buy you a home. Money's going to buy you medicine, but it's not going to buy you health. Money will buy us a a grand building, but it's not going to buy you the promises of God. All of a sudden, that plan fell apart. Well, then Andrew, he comes up with a great idea. He finds his kid, this guy, to eat a fish and bread for lunch. You know, and I, I don't know about you, but we're not talking about fish like we lie about when we go to Lake Lanier. We're talking about sardines. You know, and this kid, we, it's the start. So, you know, so Andrew said, hey, we can feed a couple of people if they're not really hungry. But we're talking about folks that slurp cereal bowls and drink down soup in public. Hungry people. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. I've got the solution to your emptiness. And he takes that little bit and he does two things. One, he gives thanks for it. Okay, now we got to feed 15,000 people. We got one little boy's lunch. Does that sound like something you give thanks for? You see, most of us aren't, aren't giving thanks for what we have. Most of us are whining about what we don't have. God, how come I can't have a house like him? God, why can't I get a new truck like him? How come I can't buy clothes where she does? I mean, we've become professional prayer whiners. So we spend all of our time, you know, basically griping at God about what we don't have rather than giving thanks to him for what we do have. So Jesus gives us his model and says, listen, you want him to fill your emptiness, give him thanks for what you do have. And then he does something secondly, boy, that's painful. He took those fish and he took that bread and he broke it. First he blessed it and then he broke it. You know, have you ever noticed that God does his best work with stuff that's been broken? You know what I've learned? You don't really get grace until you're totally broken and you know where to go. And all of a sudden he shows up and extends grace to you. Now you get grace. You know what happened? Those people received grace that day. You know, that that poor widow with those two sons, she received grace that day because God specialized in filling their emptiness. We serve a God that's greater than any challenge you're going to face this year. Anything you could put to the right of that greater than signal symbol, he's bigger than, he's more powerful than that. You know, over in John 2, Jesus did something else. Jesus shows up at a party, a wedding as it would be. And at at a wedding in that day, they, they would have served wine and a lot of it. 
Now, they would have started with the cheap stuff. And then by the time that the party got started, that's when the good stuff was supposed to come out. Well, all of a sudden, the host had a huge social disaster. He ran out of wine. Not cool. Now, I know what we would have said today. Well, hey, just, you know, get the high C and the Coke. You know, no, no, no. Socially in that day, to do that was disastrous. Jesus lets them go through all their human ineptitude. He, he sees that they can't fix the problem. There's nothing they can do. They can't buy it. They can't make it. They're out of time. They're out of hope. They have nothing to do. So Jesus does what we find over and over and over again in the Bible. He goes and gets some empty wash pots, the big old pots they'd wash clothes in. And he fills them with water and turns the water into wine. Bam. Party is on. Now, some of you deeply theological people are saying, well, you know, in those days it was unfermented grape juice. Wasn't <laughs> it was the good stuff? I mean, Jesus broke out the good stuff. And all of a sudden, everybody looked and said, whoa. He took empty wash pots and met their need. He, he, took, he took a little jar of oil and met their need to overflowing. He took hungry bellies of 15,000 people with a little boy's lunch and met their need. And you know what I have found out? We serve a Lord that specializes in filling emptiness. But do you know how he fills emptiness? He fills emptiness three-way. One, by allowing us to empty ourselves of sin. Over in Isaiah chapter uh, 59... Here's what you read in the first two verses. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Now, if you're saying, Chuck, that sounds like Bible talk. I don't understand it. Here's the short version. Your hidden sin is keeping your emptiness empty because there's still room for you to keep your sin there and you're not surrendering at all to God. All right, let me make it even more simple. You got sin in your heart that you haven't asked God to forgive you of because you want to hang on to it because you still don't want to be empty of sin. And you say, well, Chuck, I want the best that God has to offer. You got to offer up confession, ask for forgiveness. Who? Jesus, God, forgive me. I need you. I, messed, I made a mess of my life. Please forgive me. And you know what he's faithful to do? Forgive you and fill you. But you got to be empty of sin for that to happen. I mean, you think about that and you say, are you running on empty? I mean, do you, do, are, are you not experiencing this real personal walk with Jesus on a daily basis? Well, it might be that you're not empty enough. It might be that you, you haven't been willing to be emptied of your sin. I mean, Scripture kind of goes on and gives us this picture that... If you want an unending supply of oil to flow into your life, into your vessel, you got to empty yourself of sin. I mean, some of us have this ongoing sin in our life that you've just learned to tolerate, that your heart has grown, grown callous and cold to, and that's that sliver that you haven't surrendered yet, and God's just waiting to fill you, but he's going to wait for you to be empty of your sin. Well, God, I, 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 I don't want to give that up. Okay, then what you really said is, I don't want all of God, I don't want all that God has for me. I want to hang on to my stuff. By the way, con confessing and repenting of sin doesn't make us deserving of God's blessing and his intimacy. It just qualifies us to receive his grace. I mean, you, do you want the grace of God? Because you can't buy it. You can't earn it. 
I mean, he offers grace to us when we just come to him with emptiness. But not just emptiness of sin, but we've got to be empty to self. I mean, if you said, Chuck, what's your greatest challenge in 2014? You know what it would be? Me. I'm my greatest challenge in 2014. You say, Chuck, what's the greatest challenge for the church in 2014? Me. And by the way, if you looked in the mirror, it might be you. Total, complete surrender and intimacy with Jesus go hand in hand. Now, here's a tweetable, here's a tweetable lesson. You ready? Nothing blinds your spiritual vision like self-will. Nothing will blind your spiritual vision like self-will. But here's the better news. Nothing brings 20-20 vision like total surrender. Nothing makes it clear like total surrender. I've known people who come to me on a regular basis. I don't know what to do. I need counsel. I don't know about the decision. Should I take this job? Should I leave this job? Should I move here? Should I go there? What should I do? What school should I pick? Blah, 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 blah. I have those too, don't you? I mean, just on a daily basis. What should I do? You know what I've discovered? That their problem isn't unsolvable, but it has to start with the emptiness of self because until you allow yourself to be empty of sin and empty of self, there's no room for God to pour into you the wisdom and the joy and the clarity of what he's called you to. Some of us are wondering, what should we do in 2014? Totally surrender. Totally empty yourself of sin. Totally empty yourself of self. And when we deal with it, it's like the blinders come off. It's like we've had this spiritual cataract surgery. Oh, I get it. Because of the goodness and the clarity and the direction of God. Confess, repent my sin. Empty, empty me of me. Empty sin equals filled with joy. I don't know anybody that doesn't want the joy in their life. I don't know anybody who said, you know, I just want to be miserable. Now, some of us act that way. But no, nobody I know wants to be miserable. We, we want joy in our life. Over in John chapter 15, um, we, we get a glimpse of, of what that really looks like. And here's what it says. In John chapter 15, beginning in verse 10, it says, If you keep my commandments, and this is Jesus talking, by the way. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I mean, here's what Jesus is saying. I want to give you the good stuff. I want to give you my best. If you'll just choose to, to empty yourself of sin and empty yourself of you, I'll give you the good stuff. Total surrender and joy go hand in hand. I mean, here's, here's the challenge. There's no joy in being a half-hearted Christian. You know what part of most of our challenges is? As a matter of fact, I'd be willing to say every person in this room, starting with me, has this challenge. We got just enough joy in Jesus that we can't enjoy the world. And we got just enough joy in the world that we can't enjoy Jesus. I mean, let me put, some of you are saying, I didn't get that. Let me put it in context. Some of us have just enough Jesus that when we go live like the world, it's like, oh, crud, yeah, I knew I knew better. Why did I do that? Ah. You know, and then you beat yourself up for three weeks until you finally confess it and move on, right? And receive grace. And then some of us have just enough world that we can't enjoy Jesus. I mean, really, at some point, you surrender all to him, empty yourself of sin and self, and you get everything he has. He's saying to it, I want to give you my best. Why won't you just empty yourself? That's what he specializes in. He specializes in filling your emptiness with his joy. Over in John chapter 14, uh, in verse 21, it says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself 
to him. The Lord says, make a total and complete surrender and I'll give myself to you. You see, the oil of an intimate, meaningful, purposeful relationship with Jesus is only poured into a vessel that's been emptied of sin, emptied of self, and emptied of substitutes. I mean, some of us are substituting our emptiness for Christ with a lot of things. We, we, we empty it with, with, with some, some, some challenge or choice. I mean, some of you have been Christians for 30 years and you know, you're empty, you, you know what you're filling your emptiness with? Well, but I, but, I, but I work here, but I do that, but I give, well, I go on mission trips, well, I work in preschool, well, I work with students, well, I, well, I come and pray. Good for you and thank you. Service is good and needed. Worship is more important. I mean, here's, here's what I'd say to you. Serving is good and right. Missions is good and right. But don't let yourself get so busy doing things for the church that you neglect spending time with the Lord of the church. In 2014, if you want God's best, you really want to be blessed, stop being so busy trying to do things when he really wants you to just be at his feet. I mean, what would happen... I mean, what would happen if we said, you know what, I'm running on empty. What I really need is get rid of my sin. I need to get rid of myself and I need to get rid of whatever I'm trying to substitute that with because I think I can overcome anything in my own power. And say, so, you know, I'm not going to substitute with anything but Jesus. Jesus, I, the, the, the vessel's empty. I need you. You know what I've learned? All work without worship makes us grumpy. It makes us disgruntled. It makes us oversensitive. It makes us burned out. It makes us into whiny little people. And it turns us into everything that is not filled with Christ. And if you're here today and you need to empty your vessel of sin, it's this simple. God, forgive me. I, 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 I need Jesus to forgive me my sin. And you know what the Bible says he will? He will do it. God, I'm, this vessel's full of me. I'm full of self. I'm full of pride. I'm full of, I'm, I'm full, I'm full of me. And I, I, I need, God, would you replace me with you? And God, I've been trying to do a million other things. I, you know, I'm, I'm going on mission trips. I'm giving, I'm serving. I'm, and all those things are necessary and good, but not to replace an intimacy and a personal, loving, purposeful relationship with Christ. You running on empty? Empty yourself of sin a self, and whatever your substitution is. And you know what he is faithful to do? He is faithful to hear you, answer you, and fill you with his joy. You know, it never ceases to amaze me when I stop and think to myself, Jesus, the Son of God, having just finished celebrating Christmas and his birth, that he willingly stepped out of heaven and took his deity and set it to the side so that in his humanity, he could live on this earth, be born of a virgin, live a sinless, perfect life, and then choose willingly to allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we could have forgiveness of our sin, that we could choose to be empty of our sin, empty of ourself, and empty of our substitute because he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that you could have joy overflowing. And so he gathered his disciples together and he took the bread and he said, this is a, uh, this is a picture. It's a representation. It represents 
my body, Jesus said, that's going to be broken for you. And then he, he took the fruit of the vine and he held that up and he said, this, this fruit of the vine is a representation, it's a picture of my shed blood that I'm going to shed for you. And they couldn't really imagine what was going to happen, but Jesus left that last supper and he went and he was, he was betrayed and he was hung on a cross and his body was broken and beaten and scourged, hung on that cross and his blood was shed. And in agony, he was able to say, it is finished. And you say, well, what was finished? You know what was finished? Death. The grave. Because when they put Jesus in that borrowed tomb, in that cold, dead tomb, day one was bleak and day two was horrible. But day three, they went to that tomb to see what was going on. And the stone was moved and Christ had walked out of that tomb. And he went to prepare a home for all those that would believe because his body had been broken and his blood had been shed for you. And today, we invite you to do what Christ commanded us, to remember Jesus and his body being broken. So Jesus, he blessed the bread and once again, he broke it. Father, we praise you and we thank you that in this time we remember your broken body and your shed blood, that you willingly gave up your life that we might have life more abundantly and eternally. So as we remember your broken body, as we remember your shed blood, we say to you, Lord, we love you. We want to be empty of our sin. We want to be empty of ourselves. We want to be empty of our substitutes that you might fill us to overflowing with your joy, your presence, and your power as we remember your broken body and your shed blood. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And then he said, take, eat. And after he did, he took the cup and he reminded them, fellas, this is my blood. For as often as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, remember me. And when they finished, he said to his boys, let's sing. I believe they sang. So you know what I'd say? Come on, church, let's sing.